So for the sermon today, we had been in this series, we've been looking at um, some of the shorter books of the New Testament. We looked at uh, Philemon, we looked at Jude, and we were going to finish off that series uh, today and look at another shorter book, of an often sort of overlooked book of the New Testament. But as I was sort of thinking, as I was kind of preparing for the message, I just felt God sort of calling me to, to really move in a little bit of a different direction and do something for the sermon. So we're actually going to sort of put that shorter books of the, the New Testament series behind us, and we're going to do something different today. And as last week was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and sort of as I was thinking about that, even after Sunday and thinking about the Persecuted Church, uh, one of the things that I was thinking of is that even in these parts of the world where Christians are, are heavily persecuted, they face great opposition, there's uh, great risk to them, of course, of imprisonment, being beaten, uh, even put to death for their faith, right? Even in the face of such persecution, such opposition, nonetheless, very often, they are awfully bold for Christ. They live out their faith publicly, boldly for the Lord. They proclaim the truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ, the truth of God's word boldly, even in the face of that opposition. And on the flip side, for us here often sort of in the Western world, the Western church, even uh, with quite a range of freedoms where we can gather and we can worship the Lord freely with very mild persecution. Maybe we're mocked a bit for our faith and those kinds of things, but very mild persecution. We have it easy, and yet all too often I think we're the ones who are rather timid in our faith rather than bold, right? And, and even though there's not much persecution, not, not such great opposition as in other parts of the world, nonetheless, I think often we think, well, you know, are, are people going to think I'm nuts if I'm just going to live out my faith publicly, even in the workplace, and I'm going to share my faith with everyone I come into contact with? People are going to think I'm a fool. People are going to think I'm crazy, right? They're going to say nasty things, and I don't want that. And so we sort of shrink back from that, and we're all too often timid in our faith when, of course, what we're called to is to be bold, for the Lord, bold for Christ. We're to be bold in living out our faith publicly day in, day out. We're to be bold in proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ and what he's done for us, how he died, how he rose from the dead, how he made atonement for our sin, right? We're to be bold in all of this and not timid. And again, as I think all too often in the West, we're rather timid in our faith. I think we really need to be challenged to live out our faith and proclaim the truth of God's word boldly, to really exhibit that boldness for Christ that often we see present in the persecuted church. And so I wanted to, to talk about boldness, boldness for the Lord, boldness for Christ. And we're going to look at, at what Scripture has to say on this matter. And we're going to turn to Acts. We're going to be in Acts. It's a, a bit of a long passage, but a good one and really relevant for what we're going to talk about today in, in this theme of boldness. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read through all of chapter 3 and then into chapter 4 up to verse 31 of chapter 4. And so I'm, I'm going to read this now. I'll pause at certain points and, and interject and sort of do our teaching. We're going to look at a couple other shorter passages, but this will be the main one. And let me read it for us here. And what we're going to see, just sort of as a heads up, is of course boldness for the Lord and living out one's faith publicly, boldly for the Lord, but also sort of standing up for the faith, standing up for God and for Christ and boldly declaring the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see Peter doing that. We're going to see John doing that here, uh, really in the life of the early church. And so let's read this now. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, One day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, 
where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so I want to pause here for the first time. I want to pause here and sort of talk about what we've read up until this point. And what we see here is boldness on the part of Peter and John. Just sort of for starters, recognize what they're doing. They're going up to the temple at the time of prayer to go and worship the Lord. But of course, they're going to worship God at this sort of designated set-apart time in sort of the, the daily cycle, right? And they're going to go and worship the Lord as followers of Christ, as ones who trust in Christ, who believe that he is the Messiah. He is indeed Jesus. He is indeed God the Son. And they're going to go and worship God in that way the triune God there in the temple. Their mindset isn't, you know, yeah, we're Jews, but we sort of believe differently than a lot of the other Jews. We believe that the Messiah has come, that it was Jesus, that he's God the Son. We believe in this, this trinity, this triune God. And so because we believe different things than all of the other Jews here who are going up to the temple, well, why don't we sort of worship uh, in sort of a private place, sort of on the side, right? That isn't their mindset. Their mindset isn't let's live out our faith that's sort of different from what the other Jews believe. Let's live it out sort of on the side, on the margins, not in the public square, not in the public sphere, and we'll sort of do our thing quietly because, you know, we're timid for Christ, we're not going to be bold for Christ, and we don't want other people to think less of us. No, they're bold in their faith, they're bold in how they live it out publicly, yet they're followers of the Lord Jesus, and they're going to go and worship God, they're going to worship the triune God, worship Christ as his followers right there in the temple in front of everyone, in front of all sorts of people who would think uh, very little of them. Them, when they see these, these people, right, John here and Peter, worshiping the Lord and affirming Jesus as Christ, as God the Son, right, they're not going to love the, the people there in the temple. They're not going to love what they're doing. They're not going to agree with him, of course, with them, with John and Peter. And certainly they could have been mocked. They could have been worse than mocked. There could have been consequences. Look at what happened to Christ himself. He was put to death on a cross, and those who were followers of his certainly risked great uh, opposition and persecution. And again, yet here are Peter and John, and they're not going to sort of worship in quiet, in secret, on the side. No, they're going to live out their faith openly, publicly, boldly for the Lord. And so it sort of starts with that, that boldness for Christ. Hey, even though people think less of us and, and they think we're foolish following this Jesus of Nazareth, right, even though people think little of us, we're not going to go and do things on the margin. No, we're going to do it publicly, boldly, right in front of them, right in the middle of the temple. So we see that boldness there, but it doesn't end there, right? So they're going into the temple, they get to the gate, right? And here's this, this beggar, he's lame, and so he's begging for money just to sort of get by and, and be sustained in life, 
right? And so what do they do? Well, hey, they don't have gold, they don't have, have silver, they don't have money to give, but they have something far greater to give, and of course it's, it's healing. And you could also say not only healing, but the message of, of Christ, the message of the gospel as well. But what do they do? They go and they heal this man who's, who's from birth been lame, right, unable to walk. They go, and, and of course Peter heals him. And you might say, well, you know, in what way is this sort of boldness for Christ? Certainly it's doing this great wonder and whatnot, but is this really sort of boldness for the Lord? But again, I'd say it is, and they're doing this very visibly, very publicly, living out their faith, right? Peter has this gift of healing. God's calling him to heal this, this lame beggar at this temple gate. And Peter's mindset here isn't, you know, well, God wants me to heal this person, but I don't want to rock the boat. You know, look what happened to my Lord when he rocked the boat. He wound up on a cross. So let's sort of like duck into some alley. We can do the healing there. No one will see it. It'll all be good, right? That's not his mindset. He's not going to be timid. No, if I'm going to heal you, if the Lord's calling me to heal you, I'm going to do it right here, right now, in front of everyone. I'm going to be bold in my faith in living it out, and God is calling me to do this, and I'm going to do it in front of everyone right here in the temple where everyone's gathering at this hour of prayer, and I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to do it very clearly in the name of Jesus, right? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, right? He's bold for the Lord, not timid, but awfully bold for the Lord. And again, it doesn't end there, but let's read on, right? We read through to verse 10, and now we'll pick up at verse 11, and the boldness is going to continue. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Right, so what does Peter do here? He's been bold for Christ up until this point, but it's not like the boldness ends here, 
right? Well, he's done this great miracle in the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, and people recognize, you know, this, here's this guy, he was lame, he couldn't walk, and now here he is running about, and, you know, you can imagine, you know, people are sort of astir a bit, there's a little bit of a buzz, everyone's talking about it, and, you know, well, who did this miracle? What's going on? And maybe they're pointing over there, it's that guy, that, that Peter guy and, and John, they, they were the ones. And so a crowd starts to form, and what does Peter wind up doing? Well, he's not going to say, you know, I'm just, I'm a little bit timid, you know, I don't know, I don't want to preach or teach to some large crowd right here in the temple, or maybe I'll do it sort of quietly somewhere else. No, right? God has established and ordained this situation, is, is calling him to proclaim after doing this wondrous miracle, uh, of course, now to take advantage of sort of all eyes on him to, to now proclaim the truth of the gospel, and that's what he does, right? All these Jews here, they're gathering around, what's going on? What's the deal with this miracle? Tell us more. And so what does he do? He's bold for Christ, and he boldly proclaims the truth about him. He boldly proclaims the gospel and teaches all about Christ. And again, he even does this knowing full well that there's great and there's significant risk to himself in this. Again, right, as a follower of Christ, just think about what happened to his master, his Lord, while he was put to death. Do you think the Jews were then going to go and be kind to all of the followers of Jesus of Nazareth? No, they weren't going to be kind to them. They knew that there would have been risk uh, in doing this right here, smack dab in the middle of the temple, right? And now they're going to proclaim all about Christ, all about this Jesus, right, that the Jews just had put to death and that he's in fact God himself and the Messiah and rose from the dead and that there's forgiveness of sins in him, right? There's great risk to them, of course, and yet they're not going to sort of shrink back from, from this situation and, and refuse to do what God's calling them to do, but rather Peter says, no, I'm going to be bold for the Lord. I'm going to boldly proclaim the truth, and he does that. And sure enough, there are consequences, as he very well might have expected. You know, you know, I'm sort of rocking the boat here a little bit. I could get myself in trouble, and he does, right? If we read on here, at this point now we're in chapter 4, we see sort of the fallout of, of Peter's willingness to be bold and proclaim the truth of the gospel, and here's what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Acts says, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, right? So already there are consequences. Oh, you're going to rock the boat. You're going to be going and teaching about this Jesus of Nazareth. Well, it's going to wind up getting you imprisoned. And sure enough, that's what happens. They wind up in prison. But, you know, Peter didn't care. He was going to boldly proclaim the truth about Christ, and he did. And what's the result, right? Many believe. Many come to faith in Christ. But, of course, the consequences don't end here. They wind up imprisoned at this point, but ultimately there's going to be a trial, and that's effectively what takes place as we read on. It says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power 
or what name did you do this? So now we have the Sanhedrin here. This is what's going on. The Sanhedrin, which is sort of like the highest court among the Jewish people. It's sort of like the Supreme Court. This is a trial setting. That's what's going on here. So if you're Peter, if you're John, you could probably be thinking like, it may not be going well for me here. I may not see another day. I could wind up being executed, being put to death, just like my master was as a follower of his. The same thing could wind up happening to me. Um, but of course, they're going to be bold even in the face of that. So this sort of trial is happening now before the Sanhedrin, and they're questioning them, by what power or what name did you do this? And then it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Right, so... Here you have Peter and John recognizing, oh boy, this isn't going so well for us. We were tossed into prison for, for proclaiming the truth about Christ, the gospel, right? Got us tossed into prison, spent the night there. Now here we are before this high court among the Jews, and you know we're being questioned about this. And what is Peter's response? He's not going to respond with fear, with timidity, but ra rather with continued boldness. And what does he do? Right? He basically says pretty much the same thing that got him tossed into prison in the first place. He proclaims the truth of the gospel. Right? He proclaims the truth about Christ, who he is, what he's done, right here before the Sanhedrin, probably expecting full well, you know, it's my time. God's, you know, he's calling me home, and this is going to result in my death, but I'm going to be bold for the Lord and faithfully proclaim the truth to the end, right? Knowing that there very well could have been significant consequences, even risking his life. But he remained bold, of course, and proclaimed the truth boldly. And now let's read on how the story continues. Verse 13 now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, right, even, even the, the Sanhedrin, the people who were members of it, they recognized the courage, the boldness of these people, right? They weren't timid, Peter and John here, they were bold. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, right? So this is sort of their, their concluding judgment. You know, we can't do anything. Everybody in, in the whole city, everybody here in Jerusalem, they, they know what these people have done. They've done this great and wondrous sign and miracle, right? If we sort of go and do some terrible thing and punish them for, for doing this, you know, 
people aren't going to like that. They're not going to like that judgment, that ruling. Maybe we'd have a, a mob on our hands, a riot. So we, you know, we can't sort of do anything to them, but we've we got to stop the spread of this teaching. All this teaching about Jesus, right, that he's the Messiah, that he's the, the Son of God. We don't, we don't like this stuff. So, you know, yet what can we do? We're just going to tell them they cannot talk anymore about Jesus, spread this message anymore, do any more miracles in his name, and then we'll, you know, we'll let them off the hook as long as, as, long as they'll do that. So, of course, now we're going to see, well, what's, what's the response? How do Peter and John respond? You might think, well, they're giving a decent out here as long as they're just not going to, you know, stir up any more trouble and talk about Jesus, then they're free to go. But, of course, they're not going to listen to the Sanhedrin, and here's what they say. So, verse 18 here, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, again, here we see continued boldness. They're sort of given an easy out. Hey, you know, your life will be spared. You'll be okay. Just sort of don't spread this word about Jesus anymore. Don't do that anymore. And what do Peter and John respond with? Not fear or timidity, but rather with great boldness. It says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, right? They are the judges, Right? You be the judges. You're sitting in the, in the seat of judgment. Well, what, what's right for us to do? Should we follow you or should we follow God? Of course, we need to follow God. And so he goes on, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Right? Yep, you're telling us we need to keep our mouths shut. We can't talk anymore about this whole Jesus guy and, and all that he did, that he's the Messiah, that he made atonement for sin, that he's in fact God the Son. Right? You want us not to talk about that anymore, but we can't do that. We're going to continue to be bold and proclaim the truth of the gospel. We're going to be bold in our faith. That's what they say. And then reading on it says, after further threats, they let them go, right? They really still couldn't do anything to them. What had they done? And they were probably afraid of the people and how they'd respond uh, if they were to punish them after they did this great miracle. So after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Right, so you have this guy, why did they bother to mention this? He's over 40 years old and he has been lame here, right, since birth, right, that long. It's not like, uh, you know, this guy, he used to walk and he was fine. He sort of tweaked an ankle. Now it's not doing so great. He's not very mobile. But maybe a doctor who knows a little bit about medicine could, could do something about this. The idea here is, no, he was, he was lame from birth, been lame for over 40 years. There was no hope for him to be able to walk other than this miracle. And sure enough, right, that's what took place. It is clearly miraculous. And so the people are in awe and wonder and praising God for what had happened. So going on, verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, 
consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Right, and so what happens here, not only do we see Peter and John responding with great boldness every step of the way, they're living out their faith boldly, they're proclaiming the truth about Christ boldly, even sort of with even their lives on the line, with, uh, with great opposition and persecution facing them, they're bold for the Lord, they're not timid, but it's not just the two of them, but even when they get back to the brothers and sisters in Christ, right, the family of faith, and they tell all that's taken place, what's the response of the whole church there, this early church there at the beginning of Acts here in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? What's their response? They recognize the opposition against them, right? And their response is to come before the Lord in prayer and say, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, right? They recognize the, the need for them to be bold for the Lord. They see the opposition to the faith, to them, to those who are followers of Christ, to, to true faith, right? They see that opposition, they recognize, right? We can't be timid in the face of that opposition. We need to be bold for you. So God, give us that boldness. And what's the result, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon them, fills them to overflowing, right? And they wind up being bold for the Lord, living out their faith boldly, proclaiming as it says, right? It says that they spoke the word of God boldly. They asked for boldness because they knew that they had been called to that, to be bold for Christ. The Holy Spirit worked within them and gave them this great boldness for the Lord so that they would live out their faith boldly, proclaim the truth of the gospel boldly. It's what they did. And this isn't just something that we see, oh, in this, this one little story here in Acts, these couple chapters in Acts, but we certainly see the importance of boldness for Christ all over the place. And if I think of another example in Scripture of someone who is truly bold for the Lord, even in the face of great opposition, I think of the Apostle Paul, right? And he faced great opposition every step of the way. He was tossed in prison numerous times. He was beaten, right? He, was, he had virtually everything that you wouldn't want to happen to you, it happened to him, right? Imprisoned, beaten. Uh, ultimately, right, what winds up happening to him? He winds up giving his life for the Lord in service to him. He was bold every step of the way. And we see that. If, if we read now from Romans, right, even in the face of great opposition, even with his life on the line, stoned within an inch of his, his life at one point, beaten repeatedly, imprisoned, as I talked about, ultimately gave his life for the Lord. Even in the face of all of this opposition, this persecution, he never wavered. He was faithful to the Lord and bold for the Lord, lived out his life boldly, proclaimed the truth about Christ boldly. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, right? Here's Paul thinking about the gospel and saying, I I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? People might think this is foolishness, this is nonsense, that you believe that this guy is God himself, he's the Messiah, he's God the Son, uh, he dies on a cross, which was a, a shameful, unspeakable thing sort of in, in the Roman world, right? And this just sounds like foolishness, that in that he makes atonement for sins, so that we can be forgiven through faith in him, right? People all around were thinking, Paul, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're a fool, right? But he didn't care. 
He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't going to be ashamed of the truth about Christ. He wasn't going to be ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't going to be ashamed of his Lord, his Savior, the one true faith. He wasn't going to be ashamed of any bit of it, but rather he rejoiced in it, delighted in it. And of course, he was bold in living out his faith. He was bold in declaring it. And in fact, here's what we read. We've been reading from Acts. If we go right to the end of Acts, chapter 28, the last two verses in this book, verses 30 and 31, here's what it says about Paul. Right? Even while he's in chains for the gospel, right? he's, he's already imprisoned under house arrest because of nothing but his faith, right? and that he's been faithful to the Lord and bold in living out his faith and declaring the message of the gospel. Right? So he's already in prison for that, and yet here's what it says. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. This is in Rome under house arrest. Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Right? He continues to proclaim the truth about Christ with all boldness. Right? This, this message that he's proclaiming, this is why he's in prison in the first place. But he's not going to say, hey, it didn't go well for me before when I proclaimed the truth of the gospel. And that's why I'm in prison now. Right? But no, he says, yep, I don't care that it didn't go well for me before. I'm going to continue to be faithful. I'm going to continue to be bold in my faith. Bold for the Lord. Bold for Christ. Bold for proclaim and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And that's what he did. Right? That's what he did here. Even in his two years under house arrest, right, people came and visited him, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says, with all boldness, right, to the very end. And ultimately, though this imprisonment didn't result in his death, death ultimately he was released from this imprisonment. But then later on, he wound up imprisoned again uh, and ultimately did give his life for the Lord. But even up until the very end, he was bold for the Lord and how he lived out his faith and in how he boldly, faithfully proclaimed the truth of the gospel to anyone and everyone. And I think of these examples, whether it's the example of Paul, whether it's the example of, of Peter and John that we read about in Acts, uh, the example even of the whole church there in Jerusalem. Their response as they hear from Peter and John is to say, hey, we need boldness. Yeah, there's great opposition against us, but we need to make sure that in the face of that opposition that we're going to be bold for the Lord. We're going to live out our faith boldly. We're going to proclaim the truth of the gospel boldly. And we ought to learn from these wondrous examples in Scripture and follow their lead. We should follow Paul, Paul's lead and say, hey, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel either. There are people out there in, the, in our world, they're going to say it's foolishness. You really believe all that stuff. You believe the Bible. You believe that about Jesus. They'll call us names. They'll mock us. They'll think we're fools. And we need to say, I, I don't care what they think. I'm not ashamed of my Lord. I'm not ashamed of my Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I delight in it. I'm proud of it all. Right? I rejoice in it, and I'm going to proclaim it boldly. Right? We need to be like Paul, even when he's suffering consequences, as we read about here at the end of Acts, even as he's suffering consequences for being bold for the Lord, he says, I'm going to keep on being bold. I don't care what further consequences come for me. Ultimately giving his life for the Lord, he says, I'm just going to continue to be bold and living out my faith, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Right? Peter and John did the same thing. They were bold every step of the way. And then I think of, in particular, the church. And I want us, I want us to follow the lead of, of all of these people we're talking about. But sort of I think of us as being like that, that church, right? We're a church here, just as that early church in Jerusalem was a church. And as they hear about the opposition against them, what is their response? To, it's to say, we got to be bold. 
right? We can't be timid. Yes, there are people all around who want to oppose everything that we're about, and that's certainly true in our day and age as well. There are people all around us who don't like what we're about, what we stand for, right? We're in very much a similar situation, and we need to say, hey, but, but we can't sort of shrink back in fear. We can't be timid. We need to be bold. And what was their response? Their response was to say, we need to come before the Lord and ask for that boldness. And that's what they did. They came before the Lord. They prayed and said, Lord, give us this boldness. Even in the face of threats, opposition, all of this, Lord, help us to be bold for you to the very end. Living out our faith boldly, courageously proclaiming the truth boldly, courageously to the very end. And the Holy Spirit moved. The Holy Spirit worked. He filled them and gave them that boldness. And that's what I want for us. I want for us to do the same thing that that church did, to recognize that all too often, I think in the West we tend to be guilty of this, all too often we're sort of timid in our faith. Not to say that we'd ever disown the Lord or anything. I don't mean that, but I think all too often we're not characterized by boldness, but we're afraid to share, you know, what are people going to think if I go and talk about Jesus? Uh, They don't want to hear that. They're going to make fun of me. And so we, we wind up sort of backing off and not being bold in our faith. And I want us to say, no, it it can't be that way. We need to follow the lead of all these people. We need to come before God. And even, you know, if we struggle with, with that boldness, we need to come before the Lord and say, give us that boldness. We need to be bold for you. We should be living out lives like these people we talked about, like Peter, like John, like the early church in in Jerusalem, like Paul. We need to be bold in our faith and in the declaration of the truth of the gospel, day in, day out, standing up for the Lord, living out our faith publicly, not caring what people think, not being ashamed, and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And so I want us to come before the Lord and say, Give us that boldness. We struggle with it. Give it to us, Lord, and allow the Holy Spirit then just to work within us, cultivate within us that boldness, fill us to overflowing as he did for that early church in Jerusalem, and enable us day in, day out, to live out lives of faithfulness, boldness for the Lord, and boldly, courageously to declare the truth of the gospel. That's our application, and and really, I want us to live it out right here, right now. We always close our sermons with prayer, and if we're saying, well, our application is generally to be bold for the Lord, but to start by coming before the Lord in prayer, asking for that boldness, then let's do it. Let's live out the application, come before the Lord now, and ask him for that boldness that we so desperately need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, all too often we are timid in our faith. We're concerned about what other people are going to think. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to mock us. If I share my faith too much at work, am I going to lose my job? We're concerned about all of those things rather than being concerned about just being faithful to you. And you have called us to be courageous, to be bold for you, Lord Jesus, to live out our faith, not quietly in private in some dark corner somewhere for no one to see, but know to live out our faith publicly, boldly for you, to everywhere we go be declaring the truth of the gospel, not timidly, but powerfully, courageously, boldly, all in service to you. And if we're honest, we struggle with that, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a work within us, Cultivate within us in a growing way with every passing day a greater and greater boldness for you. Help us to live out our faith as you've called us to, courageously, boldly, as these people in Scripture did as we just read about today. 
Help us to be like Peter, Paul, John, that early church in Jerusalem. Help us to follow their lead, live out our faith boldly, to stand up for you, and to boldly, courageously, powerfully proclaim the truth of the gospel day in, day out, everywhere we go, all in service to you, all for you, all for your glory, and for the growth of your church, your kingdom. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.